Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is Dr. Tracy Hines Lashley. I am the CEO and the founder of a nonprofit corporation called Boss Up Lead Hers. We are a platform for women and youth, young girls. So if you're interested, hit us up, bossedupleadhers.org. We have a wonderful guest today. Her name is Ann Anderson. She is known as Coach Ann, the CEO and the founder of Butterfly Uprising LLC and Unstoppable Women's LLC, the network, best-selling author of a novel, Butterfly Uprising. That is, oh, I love that name. <laughs> she also co-authored five anthologies, which is amazing because I, I like her love anthology projects because especially when it's with a bunch of women. So she has five anthology projects and also featured in online magazine, Making Headline News, and also featured in Louisiana Leading Ladies. Okay. And she is a speaker, a certified transformational life coach. Welcome to the show, Ms. Ann. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Tracy. I am so honored and happy to be here. I really do. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Oh, wow. Okay. So you said all the good part. I uh... <laughs> All of it is good. Okay. <laughs> That's right. You're right. I was born in 1956 in Houston, Texas, but my family uh, moved back to their hometown after my dad retired from the military when I was seven years old. So I was raised in Shreveport, Louisiana. I'm the oldest of seven children, um, come from a working class family. My dad was a um, blue collar worker and functioning alcoholic. And my mom was a nurse and with minimal life skills. I'm also an incest survivor. My stepfather raped me from age 10 until I was 16 years old. So it's a, it's a mixed bag. Uh, I can't say that there weren't, uh, you know, some moments of happiness and love, but at the same time, very dysfunctional family. At 18, I uh, went to Miami and met my, I went there to go to school, to medical school in Miami, Florida, met uh, this young Haitian guy who uh, became my baby daddy and my first husband. Uh, we stayed together, ended up divorced at 26. Sometime after that, I met the man of my dreams, I thought, uh, who turned out to be an, a nightmare and found myself in an abusive relationship at 27. I was a flaming drug addict for over 20 years, hit rock bottom in 1991 when I was smoking crack cocaine in the house with my child there and my gun accidentally uh, hit the floor and went off. So that was just one of the wake up calls that I had that um, I needed to do something else, put my son somewhere where he could be protected. Uh, however, you know, none of these things define who I am today. In 1992, I surrendered my life to Christ and I have not looked back. I never suffered from withdrawal or uh, went to rehab or anything like that. God supernaturally uh, took drugs and alcohol out of my took the power of it away. And uh, so today uh, I share my personal story and hope that it inspires confidence in someone else, you know, who's listening. And I'm so thankful for God's grace as I realized that this was make, it is what uh, makes life living, make life's worth living for me now. 
I was not expecting that one. Um, <laughs> ooh, you know, yeah, they say, you know, your story is about you, but it's not for you. Yeah. And you telling your story is is well needed. People need to hear it. Thank you. And, you know, you were talking about the abuse at a young age. You know, I know you said that Christ led you out of it. But before that, how did you stay whole or stay sane through it all? It was very difficult. Uh, it's only by the grace of God. I know that I am here and everything that I'm doing today, I just stumbled into it. There, you know, there um, was a time, a long time, as she just says, from 1966 until 1993 that I was so empty on the inside. I struggled to figure out who I was and why I was here, what my purpose was. I was suicidal, just barely existing, even though no one knew it. <laughs> Obviously, I was a good actor back then, pretending to be okay. So, um, because I felt like I was damaged goods, unworthy of love, unwanted, unloved, like I wasn't enough. But I do know that my son has been the driving force in all the right decisions that I've made in my life. So I had, a sh I had to shift my mindset and just started to design and change my reality to one where I win instead of losing all the time. And I wasn't, I was, you know, no longer miserable anymore at that point. So a big part of that was asking myself what I wanted and what was working uh, and what was working towards that and what wasn't working. So ultimately I decided to choose me to love myself first. I realized that if I could not love anyone else unless I love myself first. So I had to become my own rescue, became my first client and embracing that uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, which is all about just figuring out your own truth and not concerning yourself so much with other people's perception of who you are. And um, so, um, yeah, ultimately I just had to grow into the kind of person who could uh, forgive all of my perpetrators and who could see God's grace in everything that I had gone through and overcome. Wow. Yeah, that, that seems like the norm when people to ask that question. It's like, okay, you know, I had to, you know, some people don't actually say they found themselves. You know, being in a situation to where here you are, this young, vulnerable, you know, little girl, mm. and going through every single thing that you've gone through. Mm. And in your mind, you're like, you know, Lord, why me? You know, why am I no good? Mm -hmm. You know, is this, is this man doing this to me for punishment? Has I, have I done something wrong? And right. thinking, you know, as you're growing up, I can imagine you just being in a place to where you're thinking this is how all men are. I, um, I went through a, a lot of that, all those questions I asked myself. And like you just said, I thought that, it was something about me, obviously, that would make someone want to do that to me. Something about me, actually, that was different from someone else, everyone else who was in my family, because to my knowledge, at 10, it was only happening to me. So, of course, I blamed myself for many years and thought that, it, you know, maybe it was just because, you know, I was unlovable or 
um, you know, I didn't, I, I wasn't enough. I didn't, I wasn't pretty enough or just something um, that would cause that kind of thing to happen to me. And so what I did was I, like I said, became a, a great actress, I guess, because I, <laughs> I uh, performed in a lot of activities. I, I, you know, did as many things as I could think of to try to take my mind off of uh, what was going on, what was happening to me. And then he also used a lot of fear tactics. You know, he threatened uh, everyone that I loved. He threatened if I spoke or said anything to anyone that he would kill him. He would kill my mother. He would kill my sisters and brothers. He would, you know, any if I start seeing a guy as I got older, you know, that he would kill that, you know, kill him as well. And he had me thinking that he had police and people watching me on a regular basis. So anything I did, anywhere I went, he knew about it, supposedly. And I believed that for a long time. You know, he, uh, there was a period of time where I was going to a junior high school and I had to stay at my grandmother's after school and it happened to be on the way to his job. And so actually I had to go to work with him every morning and he picked me up every day to bring me home with the gun between us, you know. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, I lived with that for a long time, but he also had a, uh, he was a drunk <laughs> and I was always very observant, you know, and I, I kept my eyes and ears open over, over the years that fear started to go away a little bit you know, because he was constantly making threats. And the more I observed who he was as a man, I guess I started feeling like he was kind of weak or just a bully or is there's no way he's going to do all the things that he was claiming, telling yes. me years that he would do. And uh, when I was 16 years old, I just gotten tired of it, you know, uh, feeling like I was living in bondage in my own house. And it was a lot because of him, you know, trying to... Uh, keep me from doing anything. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm protecting my family. But at that point I became a little rebellious and it was like, you know what, uh, if he's going to do it, I guess it'll be okay. You know, we won't know anything if we're all dead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Wow. So, so the next time he come in my room, I'm just going to, you know, let him know, uh, don't you do that again. If you come back in here again, I am going to tell everyone what you have been doing to me. I was just at that point where I was fed up and then he just, you know, looked at me very strange and, you know, quietly backed up and went out the door and closed it. I was 16 years old. I had one more year of high school to go. We lived in the same house, like I said, and uh, I don't remember us ever having another conversation after that. I saw wow. him start staying away from the house. And so I saw him less and less and less. And I don't even remember us ever seeing each other face to face. I know he never came in my room again, but he never wow. touched me. I don't believe that we ever had another conversation. <laughs> and I couldn't believe that that's like, you know, like that's all I had to do. So of course then more guilt set in and shame, like, you know, like that I want this to happen. Like all I had to do was to stay, mm -hmm. you know, I was, I was 10 years old, you yeah. know, in my, in my mind, I was trying to rationalize everything still, you know, making it appear that it was my fault that I had done something wrong to cause, you know, that to happen to me. Wow. You know, I, I kind of like 
zoned out for a second because I found myself in that car, in that room. It's like, oh my goodness. And, and feeling your fear mm-hmm. as, as a young child, even 16 years old, you know, I can take, I was 16. I didn't know any better. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I didn't, I wouldn't have known either. Mm-hmm. And I may not have been as brave as you were to say something. You know, luckily that never happened to me, but I just know back in that, you know, back in that era, a lot of people were being molested. Oh, yeah. And no one was saying anything. That's so true. And, and I it's saw- always what goes on in this house stays in this house. Yeah, that, that was the rule in my house as well. So that was another thing. And then in my 10 year old mind, you know, because he was a parent figure to me. And the other thing was if my mother didn't know or if it wasn't okay, then how could he get so much time away from her and everybody else that this could take place? You know, like, yes. and the older I got, like before when I was younger, of course, I, I, I guess it was better for me to kind of think that it was this huge secret and nobody knew, but he and I and my mother and nobody else knew about it. But the older I, I got and the more I, you know, shared my story, like, and how could, how could she not know? You know, because you know, all those nights of him, I feel like I've been married, uh, like I'm 64 now. I've been married most of my life, altogether almost 40 years between two marriages. And I believe I would know if my husband was getting out of the bed. Oh, yes. You know what I'm saying? On a regular basis and not there for a certain amount of time. And especially on the regular, like what? With um, more kids in the house and that kind of thing. And then I, I had a lot of guilt, too, because I didn't say anything still. So then when I left to go to college the next year, when I graduated from high school, I was, you know, sort of getting, uh, being fearful that my sisters would have to, you know, face the same thing. Uh, but fortunately, what happened is, you know, we, <laughs> I had the room to myself, being the oldest, and my other two sisters shared a room together. And then all the boys shared a room. And then the other room was the master bedroom for my parents, right? So once I left, graduated from high school, they wanted my bedroom. And I understand he did come one time and they both, you know, like stood up in the bed at the same time. And like, you know, like what? You know, like look, and I understand according to them, that's all that happened. Oh man. So did you ever talk to your mother? Uh, unfortunately, no, I, uh, you know, I really didn't have much of a childhood. My mother and I, we, <laughs> besides all that, had a great, uh, friendship, relationship, whatever. Uh, I've always been very independent and, you know, did a lot of things on my own. Like when I decided to go to college, I didn't really even talk to her about it. I was working, I've been working and driving since I was 15, taught myself how to drive and actually used to drive her around, pick up her check because she couldn't drive. So I had a lot of responsibility. I've been cooking uh, full course meals since I was 10 years old as well. And so I had a whole lot of responsibility. Whoa. <laughs> Mom. And um, so, yeah, so I made all those arrangements myself when I graduated from high school. I just basically told her what I was doing, where I was going. She was like, really, that's what you want to do? That's where you're going? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And uh, so, um, but you know, our, our relationship basically consisted of uh, watching soap operas because I was a grade A student. 
um, you know, with all the activities and everything else I was doing, I've always loved school and, uh, you know, that was very important to me to make good grades. And it, you know, wasn't like, you know, it wasn't because my parents forced me to do it or anything like that. It's just something that is just who I was. And I believe that those things uh, kind of just became my saving grace, though, um, you know, to help me get through all of those things. But and people often ask me, do you think she was a good mother? And I, I do. I think she was a good mother uh, to the point that um, I realized some things about her, her childhood that obviously made her feel stuck in some sort of way, probably feeling the same way I was feeling as an abused child, feeling unloved, like she was damaged goods, abandoned, that kind of thing. You know, that was during the time when um, our families, our, our parents, my mother come from a large family of like 30 kids and Ooh. two boys and, and all the girls. Uh, she was the first child. I think she, my great, my, my grandmother lost the first two and then the first one that was born was my mother and the next one was the son. And then it was a whole bunch of more girls and then another boy somewhere down the line. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened, unfortunately, I'm really putting the beans out there now, but um, <laughs> he uh, eventually found out that I guess my, my grandmother was something else. She, uh, uh, her, her father was, was not my grandmother's husband. Hello. Oh. Uh, yeah, and so obviously he found out about that. I guess he couldn't handle that. So her her mother's mother raised her. She was the only one. Can you imagine out of all those children wow. and you from your other siblings and you're raised by someone else, your your grand your your grandmother instead of your your mother. So you know. Over the years, I guess that has really helped me too. I try to put myself in other people's places and see where they're coming from. I've Over the years, I realized too that hurt people hurt people. And that a lot of times the way people are, how they handle things and deal with things has a lot to do with their own immaturity. And when people hurt you, a lot of times that have more to do with their immaturity and how hurt they are, that they're not dealing with whatever it is that, they, that happened to them, that they're dealing with. And so they just project it onto other people as opposed to dealing with it themselves. And so that's kind of, I believe, in a nutshell, I believe he was also abused as well. I remember his mother, very, very, uh, yeah, I guess mean. <laughs> you know, she was not a nice lady. So, you know, I can't imagine being raised by oh, her. Oh, wow. And, yeah. You know, so it was just kind of, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back and when we come back i want you to share some of your writing like the the message behind it and also that transformational coach life <laughs> we'll be right back And we are back. We are here with the beautiful Miss Ann Anderson, known as Coach Ann. We are talking about her life, her writing, and we are going to have some juice for you about women in business, some essential tools. So Miss Ann, 
or Coach Ann, shall I say. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your writing and what it means to be a certified transformational life coach. Oh, it, it means a lot to me. Um, my writing, let me see, my writing, first of all, I've always known that I wanted to be a writer. I was actually told in high school by one of my professors that I could write and that I you know, was a good writer. So I just put it off for a very long time. Actually, my son really pushed me into doing it when I did, finally, <laughs> at 59 years old. And I've always known, too, that the first book, it was going to be Butterfly something. But for the longest of time, I didn't have any idea. I didn't know that it was going to be about me, that it was going to be actually my story until I actually uh, began to sit down and start to write, like figure out what the book was going to be about since. And, and I realized, you know, my story was perfect. My life chronicalized from, from uh, age 10 all the way up to 59 years old. And because of what Butterfly, uh, what Butterfly kind of stands for, transformation, metamorphosis, changing, evolving, that kind of thing. So that's how Butterfly Uprising came about. And what the book is about is about the metamorphosis of one woman's life's journey through interlocking stories of incest, drug addiction, and domestic violence. It's funny. It's also faith-based, and it was creatively written to correlate with the developmental stages of the butterfly through the maturation of Alexander Scott, who is my character in the book. But ultimately, it speaks about our inner ability, no matter what it is that we go through, to prevail through God's undeniable grace. And uh, so it was very healing for me to finally get that out. Up until that time, I had actually been mentoring young girls and, and coaching, consulting for at least 20 plus years. But, you know, that was before this got to be so popular. So I really didn't know what I was doing. Uh, it's just that I was, um, it was funny. I always had people coming up to me, strangers, people I don't know, airports, uh, on planes, in stores anywhere in the park and just start telling me their life story. I mean, the most horrific things. And for years, I just couldn't figure out why it is that, mm. you know, all these people that I don't know would come and just tell me these things. And a lot of times it had to do with some type of abuse. And uh, for the most part, they would be like, I never shared this or told this to anyone else before nobody else knows. I'm like, wow. And then finally, you know, it dawned on me one year, I'm like, well, maybe they do that because of all the things that I've gone through. I kind of, you know, buried it, I guess, for a long time, you know, as I healed over the years and, you know, was able to forgive and it not be bitter and not be suicidal and not be depressed and, you know, that, that sort of thing. I got to a point where I love who I, who I am, love myself and was doing things to make me happy, make me feel good. So, you know, I was living my, my life and enjoying it the best that I could. And I really didn't think too much about all of the things that I had overcome for a long time until I started sharing with these people who would come to me. And the reason I would share, because I, I could tell even though they were sharing, they were feeling a lot of shame and guilt and, and uh, I wanted to make them feel better. So I let them know you know, hey, I understand. I've been there, done that. You know, this and that happened to me. So for the longest, I was just sharing it with those people. You know, I had been very private about who I am and, and what I had gone through up until that point that I decided to sit down and write the book in 20, 
2015, finished it in 2016, and it got published by a publishing company out of New York in 2017. And But I realized, you know, I had been doing that all that time. I took uh, young women into my home, even one with kids, you know, that kind of thing. I actually kind of raised a little girl. I got her before she became a teenager. Uh, she's still in my life. I'm still working with her today. You know, she's in her mid, early to uh, mid-30s and doing very well, but uh, it was only the grace of God that helped me with her because when I first met her, she was very, very suicidal. I actually talk about her in the book, but you know, not her real name. Uh, she had been abused by her biological father since she was an infant and then had uh, different other men in her life who had abused her and raped her over the years by the time I met her. And uh, so, you know, she was in a very bad way, but she's doing very well now, has her own salon, and uh, she's not suicidal. You know, she's in church, she's saved, and she's uh, still working on herself because it's a constant, uh, ongoing thing, personal self-development. I don't believe it's anything that we could ever uh, stop doing, to be honest with you. So I'm definitely a fan. And uh, so... Um, Getting into it as a business, as when I moved here to Dallas and, and after I wrote the book, and actually what happened, you know, God has a sense of humor. I wrote the book thinking, well, you know, I put everything out there now. Uh, people are going to buy the book and they're going to read it and they're going to get this revelation. They're going to get healed all of a sudden. So I'm done. And uh, but not, that was very naive, of course. And then God dropped it in my spirit. Uh, no. Uh, if you want to make the kind of impact that you want to make, I know that you do globally with women all over the world, you're going to have to get in front of the book. You're going to have to start teaching the book face to face. You know, you're not just going to be able to uh, make the kind of impact that you want to make just by selling the book itself. And so I decided to, I have been, always have admired Lisa Nichols. So she became my executive uh, coach, my first executive coach, actually. I loved her and I remember seeing her in the secret. I knew our lives kind of parallel with each other as well. And I'd always admired her since I saw her on Oprah. And when God dropped that in my spirit, she was the first person that I thought of to get training under and to uh, learn how to speak, that kind of thing. And so I just got closer to her and I spent a lot of time with her, did a few retreats and I've done other coaches over the years, but you know, they helped me to uh, perfect what I'm doing and then actually gather some more skills and some strategies and tools. And I decided to get my certification as well to, you know, gain some more credibility to what I, for what I was doing so I can help more people. And so that's where I am and how I got where I am today but that's how it started. <laughs> wow, this amazing story. You know, when we talk about transformation, the first step is changing your mindset. Yes. Your is. own BS system. <laughs> <laughs> I want to put system in, but it's belief system. So, <laughs> so it is very challenging to do that because it's always something in the back of your mind just playing with you. You know, I say it's a devil, but <laughs> so being in the right mindset is is very crucial. So oh, yeah. as you're trying to develop yourself, how were you able to make that shift? 
uh, like I say, you just have to ask yourself a lot of powerful questions and be ready to, you know, and I tell people that all the time when you do that, you know, you don't, you want to take your time, you know, so you can answer it powerfully back. You don't want to just, you know, give a surface answer, uh, be too quick. You want to really think about what it is that you're saying. So I learned the hard way because at the time, you know, when I was going through everything that I was going through, it wasn't so you know, widespread, everybody talking about, well, I mean, everybody's talking about everything now, you know, abuse, domestic violence and incest and the whole nine yards. But, you know, when I was a child, you know, I didn't hear anything about that as far as I know, there weren't any resources to help. And, uh, you know, so I just kind of, it was just a lot of trial and error. And that's why I believe that my journey was so long though as well, because I didn't really, um, know where to go or seek any kind of help. It's just, you know, uh, I believe that uh, even though, you know, because a lot of people say, if, um, you know, like, where, where was God in this? And I know he was there. You know, I believe that he was mentoring to me and my, my first coach before I even knew what all that was or had a coach. So actually it was him. It was his grace uh, that was there protecting me, you know, even though he allowed me to go through all those things. I know that he was there as well. And once I actually came into the church uh, and realized, uh, you know, started to learn about who he is and, and, and what all he, he, has, he did for me before I was even, before I even existed and what all that meant, you know, it just kind of brought everything home and it made it so much easier too for me to forgive and realize, you know, yeah, I'm supposed to do that. You know, that's exactly what I'm supposed to do. And like you said at the beginning of the uh, broadcast, that I realized too over the years that everything that I'd gone through, went through and overcome, it was not for me. And I had a responsibility to share it and I, I couldn't keep it to myself. That would just be like a criminal, you know, because I wouldn't, you know, there's too many people out there hurting and who have gone through the same thing, who don't have a voice, who, you know, feel like um, no one cares or want to know what they went through. Even the Me Too thing, you know, people often ask me, how do I feel about it? And, and you know, I think it's great, but those people are famous, you know, so they kind of feel like, you know, people want to know and they care about them, you know, but people like myself, <laughs> not rich, uh, you, you know, don't feel the same way. We don't have that same attitude. And, but, you know, we need to be cared for and need to learn how to become whole just as well as anybody else's, maybe even more so than some of these people. And so it is a long process. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's a lot of taking, you know, one foot, putting one foot forward. And then, you know, because life happens, you know, going back 10 steps and having to crawl your way back up again. So, you know, you just get to a point where I, I always say that I believe that all the things that I've gone through, that's been my, it's been my biggest, biggest asset, you know, is to the, the you know, giving me the, showing me, giving me the, the capability of learning how to uh, overcome adversity and to become resilient, just bouncing back, you know, no matter what happened, no matter how many times I go down, uh, you know, just having that resilient uh, spirit about me to continue to come back fighting, you know, trying to be better every time. Yes, it seems like, okay, so during this time, did you ever like record the outcome? Did you know what you wanted before you started this change? 
I didn't. I, I didn't do that, you know, except for, you know, just maybe talking to myself. When you're like literally making a recording, no, but I, I, you do have to, you know, talk to yourself, that kind of thing. So I had to do a lot of mirror work before I knew what uh, my, my coach mentor, Lisa, has a mirror work exercise. It's different from what I was doing, but it, it, it uh, managed to help me as well. But you know, hers hers is a lot better and more extensive. But, <laughs> and what I realized too, when I was suicidal, uh, I always had I don't know maybe it was a lot of pride or something, or, I, or this this feeling that I just didn't want to hurt my family. I was sort of thinking about well, uh, you know, if I did that, you know, they would be hurt. You know, wondering why, you know, because they thought I was so happy and and uh, everything was okay. So. And I didn't want to put them through that. So I would always talk myself out in the mirror, you know, that no, I, I can't do that. That's not a good thing for me to do. You know, I need to stick around even though I don't know why, what for. And, you know, it seemed like things are just not going the way I want them to go. And like, I'm the only one, like I'm an island by myself. Um, you know, I just, you know, kept getting the courage or getting the, the strength or whatever it was to continue to, stay here and, and stick it out to see what happens, you know? And, but eventually I got to a point where it, like I said, it got to be good because I got, I became very selfish. You know, at first I was thinking, you know, it was someone else's responsibility to make me happy and what they did and didn't do affected me way too much. And I realized, you know what, I'm giving them my power and if I expect for them to treat me a certain way, I knew that I wasn't treating myself good. You know, so why should I expect someone else to treat me better than I'm treating my own self? And once I got that revelation, you know, I decided, you know what, I am going to start treating myself well. <laughs> and I could really care less. I don't care what anybody says about it. I'm going to treat myself good first. I'm going to show them how I'm supposed to be, how I'm supposed to be treated, how I want to be treated, how to treat me. And, um, it just kind of, you know, continue to grow from there. Yeah. And no, one of the biggest things is you have to be your own cheerleader. Exactly. If you don't cheer for yourself. How are you going to expect other people to cheer for you? <laughs> so like I said, I learned this the hard way. Nobody told me I hadn't heard it nowhere. So I was, <laughs> I was doing, I just knew I was desperate. I needed to do something to get out of that pump because I was going down. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. And it was very lonely. So even even when I was surrounded by a lot of people, I still felt very much alone. Yeah. And I see, okay, you you changed your mindset. You you were committed to your decision. You took action. You achieved results that you wanted to. You were you were consistent. Yes. You had to even change your identity <laughs> because that person you thought you were was no longer valid. Exactly. So your transformational life coach um practice. How do you get people to that mastery level? Uh, you know, basically, like I tell people all the time, um, it doesn't matter really how good your program is because you have to do the work, just like I just told you. You know, um, if you don't put the work in, it doesn't matter how good a program is, you're not going to see any transformation, no kind of change happening. So it's I like, co-sign it's, that. It's, taking action you know like you can probably come up with you know even if it's not and, and I've, I've also learned too over the years that you know transformation doesn't happen all at once it's not like one big 
explosion where, you know, yes. <laughs> transform, you know, because you did something. It's a lot of little micro wins, a lot of little small, you baby know, steps, steps, baby steps, you know. <laughs> Period of time. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. That's what I tell people, you know. But I do believe that uh, that my program, I know that it works. Like I said, because I'm I, I'm proof. I was my first client, you know. So I put myself through this, even though uh, things that the, some of the strategies and tools in my program now are things that I've accumulated and learned from other coaches over the past four years. You know, uh, but at the same time, the things that I was doing even prior to that helped me even get to that point where I still know, okay, you're still evolving. You still need some help. You know, you need to get a coach, (laughs) you know, so you can continue to grow and, uh, you know, continue your personal self-development on yourself, especially if you want to, you know, help other people, because that can be draining as well. When you hear the kind of stories that I'm telling you on a regular basis. You know, if you don't keep yourself well and built up on the inside, you know, then it could start to, you know, you can make my start to going backwards. So I make sure that that doesn't happen because I'm always working on me. I'm always redesigning and redefining my life, my reality, my my fears and all those kind of things. And so I encourage other people to do the same thing. But I know, like I said, the tools and strategies that I'm using in my program, they've been tried and tested. I believe that um, where I where I probably feel the gap is that I don't believe that you can really help someone to overcome something if you don't if you haven't overcome it yourself. You know, and my my program is is not transactional, it's relational. You know, it's about the heart, you know, as far as I'm concerned. You know, so I'm, you know, really you know, I feel like it's my mission, it's my passion. So I'm really serious and put my heart in working with them, giving them the guidance and the strategies and tools that they need to, you know, to make those little um, uh, moves in their lives. You know, so even if I get you from A A to B, that's a move. You know, I may not get you from A to, to Z, but if you make any progress, and like I said, it takes time and it's little baby steps over a long period of time. Anyway, so um, yeah, product of the product. (laughs) We are going to take another quick break. When we come back, we are going to listen to some essential tools for women in business. We'll be right back. We are back. We are here listening to Coach Ann today. Man, it's almost over. It has been such great information that <laughs> you've been sharing. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about some tools that you use as a woman in business? Sure, I would love to. First, I'd like to read a quote. I love quotes. And this one is by Randy Polsch. And it's called The Brick Walls. The Brick Walls are there for a reason. The brick walls are not there to keep us out. They are there to give us a chance to show how badly we want something because the brick walls are there to stop the people who don't want it badly enough. They're there to stop the other people. I thought that was, you know, so profound. And, you know, you're going to be tested. You're going to, you know, you're going to hit speed bumps. You're going to fall flat on your face. You may even run into brick walls. 
that you can't pass, you know, but like Randy said, those brick walls are not there to stop you. They are there to show you how bad you want it and allow you to overcome your struggles while others give up. So I um, put these 12 essential tools strategies for leading women in business together. And um, I believe that to be effective as leaders, women must embrace their unique capabilities and strengths, as well as being uh, be willing to draw on the tools and resources that any leader needs from time to time, right? So it's actually 12 of them, but I'm not going to go through all of those. I'm going to skip around and just talk about a few that I think are, pretty, are, are essential. So the first one is to uh, speak up and speak often. And uh, what I'm saying is that you want to speak up and ask for what you want and ask for what you need. You know, so many of us, you know, we expect people to read our minds you know, but people can't do that. You really need to ask for what you want. You know, I heard this thing, I don't know who says it, but it says, because the future belongs to those who ask for it. And that's so true, right? And then uh, a set, the number two is to look at potential, not the past. You know, your past is behind you, you can't change it, and it will continue to block you until you shift your attention towards better stories that highlight your greatest potential. And that's what I had to do, one of the things that I had to do as well. Um, let me see. Um, number four is um, build on your strengths. So you wanna identify your unique superpowers and make sure that they really, that they're clearly stated and implemented in whatever it is you do. So I know my superpower is that I teach women how to change an aspect of their lives in 21 days at a time. So it's so incredibly transformational that from time from the time that we start and we finish working over the course of six months, which is how long the program is, their lives are completely unrecognizable. So I really encourage people to uh, utilize that as well. And let's see, so um, the sixth one, and then, uh, okay, I like this one too. Uh, the fifth one was to discourage, to de demonstrate, I'm sorry, courage, owning the power of a woman's voice, like living in your truth, caring less, uh, having, you know, less concern about what other people's opinion of you are. And if you don't know Lisa Nichols, you need to get to know her because she is powerful. So I use, I, I repeat a lot of stuff that she says. And one of the things that she uh, used to say all the time is that other people's opinion of you is none of your business. <laughs> You know, so I thought that was that is so true. <laughs> she was like, it is not my problem that you don't like me or care for me or don't like what I'm doing. That's your problem. And if you are so stuck on what I'm doing, okay, my business, you don't have enough of your own. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and one more, uh, learn to be selfish because by nurture or by nature, women generally put themselves last on the list, you know, and then feel selfish if they move up a spot or two. You know, stop it. Be selfish. It's okay. I, I promise it's okay. Make time for self-care to get to know yourself. Do what you want and don't justify it. Say no and then don't feel bad or feel guilty for it, you know. So stop doing things to please others if it makes you feel miserable. Be you unapologetically because you can't give your best if you're if you aren't your best, you know, which is your which is the authentic you. 
So yes. yeah. this is the year that Tracy is being selfish. <laughs> I said, you know, I am going to do more of practicing what I preach because mm-hmm. I don't say work-life balance. Mm-hmm. I need to harmonize your life, you know, because you want to have all the pieces gel together. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I teach, you know, my clients is, okay, I teach them that teamwork at work is awesome because guess what? You can leave work on time oh, yeah. because you're not doing it yourself. Exactly. And then your family is also a team. Mm-hmm. So if you have your family helping you out around the house, guess what? You don't have to go straight home after work. <laughs> right. So what is that? It leaves you some me time in <laughs> work and home. And amen. Amen. So I we can go to, I go to nail salon. You know, I do not touch my phone. Don't, uh-uh. you know, if I'm at a nail salon, don't call me. Okay. I can look right there at my phone. <laughs> I am not answering. <laughs> this is my time. <laughs> we need it, girl. It's so necessary. It's not, you know, it's absolutely necessary. You know, I, I, don't, I, I just try to tell women all the time. I know it's been very important to me and I didn't mention that earlier, but that was also one of the things that, you know, helped me to get to where I am today. Like part of that taking care of me and making me happy. It was, you know, massages and nails and just whatever it is that, that I wanted to do. It made me feel good, made me feel like a woman, made me feel beautiful, you know, feel pretty or whatever. And, you know, I've just been uh, getting into it even more and more over the years. You know, like, so what I like this year, <laughs> you know, I want <laughs> you know, I have a bucket list and I've been, you know, like chopping it down. And uh, so, yeah, I, I tell everyone I've been on the journey to have it all and not miss a beat. And I still am. Yes, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it, the first thing you were talking about was speaking up. I'm like, there are so many black women who are tired of being labeled as the angry black woman. <laughs> oh, I, don't I don't care. Like, like that's their problem. <laughs> that's their yes. Problem. That's and, and it's it's kind of uh, weird because, like, you know, they're gonna, my kids are gonna, you know, get me for this. But my boys, they're like, well, I I don't um, care for a lot of black girls because oh, they're yeah. So you already know what I was going. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, I hear you. I just had this conversation with someone with last night. Like, really. <laughs> Because we have an opinion, we're gonna let you know how we feel, and we're not gonna be quiet anymore. What you don't like us? <laughs> but aggressive, like really? Okay, yeah. All right, something wrong with you? <laughs> yes, it, exactly. And and they're seeing more and more that it's just women. <laughs> it yeah. does not have a race attached to it. Does not have a race to it. <laughs> You know, and of course, the, the I hate my, I better not say that. I was going to say, you know, Puerto Ricans, they even get it even worse, you know, advice. Oh, yes. I'm like, oh, just stop it. Just stop. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I have a diverse um, group of friends and, okay. and it's funny, um, you know, my Puerto Rican friends are like, they just go off all the time. I'm like, girl, don't you get tired of that? <laughs> <laughs> and the, the guys just sit there and be like, Thing. I'm just <laughs> yeah, yeah. He needs to do some. He needs some personal self development. Yes. 
he was a coach. <laughs> yes, yeah. women are women. <laughs> well, somebody, he, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I specifically, you know, because I had to choose, you know, it's so broad. I know everybody needs help and I, I get it. I really do. But, you know, I, I, I realized though that I couldn't help everybody. So, um, you know, and, I, and I've had people, you know, in cabs, you know, traveling like, uh, so you don't help men? I'm like, so if I know anything, I try to I'm like, you know, you're so pitiful. Like, uh, yeah, if I can. I mean, you know, I, I know some, some male coaches too. Yeah. <laughs> you might want to work with them. They, they'll be able to help you. But, you know, yeah, it's, but it's, it's, you know, it's not saying that we can't help men. It's no. just, okay, what is your niche? What is your passion? You know, yeah, I can help you, you know, if I felt like it, but <laughs> I just want to focus on women. <laughs> a lot of these things, they, they need to do it too. You know, yeah. they need to love themselves first. They need to fall madly in love with who they are. Yes. You know, and yeah, they need to know that they are enough. They were born enough. They they woke up enough. They don't have to do nothing special. You know, all that stuff. So yeah, some of the, the things that it does carry over, everybody needs it. So so yeah, we can help them. I, I we definitely could help them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was amazing having you here today. And I want you to tell the audience how they can get in touch with you, um, what service you can provide for them. And yeah, just give a little bit of information that they can reach out if they need to. Sure, I would love to. So kicking off in March through 2021, all this year, I made a commitment. Every month, I'm going to help at least two women to overcome her fears or past you know, so that, you know, she can live the life of her dreams without apology, unapologetically, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, and step into the best version of herself. Is that you? You know, if you are listening to this broadcast, to the show right now, if you want to get over your fear or get unstuck, if anything that I've said today resonates with you and you are interested in working with me, apply for a consultation to speak with me about how to implement some of these strategies in your life to overcome your fears. Just email me at coach.annanderson at gmail.com. That's coach.annanderson at gmail.com. So you can apply for a consultation with me or someone in my team so that we can see whether working together or not, you know, might be a good fit. And for the first three people to book a consultation with me, uh, I'm going to give you them, they're going to be in a very special, entered into a very special drawing for a $100 Amazon gift card. And every week I'm going to be giving away uh, one of my autograph, uh, an autograph copy of my book, Butterfly Uprising. And all you have to do is sign up for a strategy session. So if this sounds like something that, that you know, would be good for you, then uh, please, you know, contact me at Anderson at gmail.com and you can get my book at amazon.com and my website is andanderson.com or butterflyuprising.com and I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook. <laughs> Are you on Clubhouse too? Because you know everybody's on Clubhouse. <laughs> I have an Android and they keep telling me I have to have a Oh, I, yes. Yeah, I'm like, really? <laughs> Come on, how can they do that? You know, in oh. a few months, they'll have an Android, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
fun. It has been fun, Coach Ann. Thank you. So thank you guys for listening, and we will see you back again next week.